continuing in our series on connecting and serving uh, God. And um, all of us who belong to the family of God are responsible to be engaged in the work of God, in serving God. Uh, in fact, he calls us uh, to uh, serve him. Henry Blackaby, in his work, uh, Experiencing God, wrote and said this. He said, a servant is a person who finds out what, he, what his master wants him to do, and then he does it. The human concept of a servant is that a servant goes to the master and says, Master, what do you want me to do? And the master tells him and the servant goes off by himself and does it. And then he adds this, but that's not exactly the biblical concept of a servant of God. You see, being a servant of God is different from being a servant of a human master. A servant of a human master works for his master, but a, a, a servant of God is a person that God works through to produce the service. You all perhaps are somewhat familiar with uh, the story that's been told many times about our U.S. hockey team in 1980 that pulled off what is by all accounts uh, an absolute uh, athletic miracle in the Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. Our uh, essentially college uh, team of Olympic athletes beat the Soviet Union. Uh, which was uh, the equivalent of, of a pro team. And then they went on to beat Finland and win the gold medal. And probably you've all, you're all aware of that story. Again, we talk about it. We've told it uh, many times, and it is a remarkable kind of story. But a lot of people don't know what the American hockey team's coach said to his team before they went out on the ice to play the Soviet Union. And it's pretty cool what he said and what he told his players. This is what he said to them. They're getting ready to play the biggest game uh, of their life against the Soviet Union. And before they went out, their coach said this. He said, you are born, you were born to be a player. And you are meant to be here at this time. This is your moment. Well, when I thought about that and reread that, I thought, you know what? That's exactly true of us. You were born to serve God. You're born to serve God. And you were meant to be here. Think about it. In this time frame of history, eternal history, you were meant to be here on this planet at this time for God's purpose. This is your moment. Uh, now, our service to God is rendered by fulfilling our service through the body of Christ. Because as we've talked about, we're all parts of one body and our, our function in the body is to serve and to do our part according to how God has designed us. And when we do, the church is healthy, the church is strong, and we strengthen one another in the work of God. And when you're serving in the church of God, you're serving people. And when you, when you serve and help people in ministry, guess what? The Bible says it's just like serving Christ himself. You remember Jesus said uh, about uh, those who have given a cup of cold water uh, to the least uh, that uh, have clothed or have ministered to a person. And Jesus was telling them, he says, you've done it to me. They said, we didn't see you in though where you needed clothing or water or food or, or shelter. And he said, yeah, but when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. By the way, as, as was mentioned by Chase, we're going this Saturday, I hope you'll join us at 8, uh, to love our community. It's an act of service by the church. And I hope you'll show up at 8 a.m. for just a few hours. Give us what time you can. But let's tell our community, because we love God, we also love you. 
And who knows what opportunities for ministry might arise even uh, from that. But when you serve people, you are serving Christ himself. And the truth is, how long you live is not nearly as important as how you live. Let me say that again. How long you live in the scheme of eternity is not nearly as important as how you live. God didn't put you here on this planet for a free ride. He, he didn't put you here to breathe the air and take up space. You've been made to make a difference. And God saved you so you could serve him. Jesus came and saved us, and then he did something else. He taught us how to serve God. And our scripture today is a parable about that very responsibility. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me this morning as we read our passage. Now, let me set it up for you. There is a lawyer that has come to Jesus, and he says this question. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus answers that question. But he doesn't stop there. He moves on in verse 29. Look there, if you will, and he says, But he, that lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And here's our text. And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. And he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the, the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Father, help us to understand even more so how we can make a difference with our lives by serving uh, your church and by your church making a difference in its world and in the lives of individuals. Lord, we pray this morning that you'll open your word to us and you'll open our eyes to it. And Father, that you will communicate, that you will convict us, that you will challenge us. And God, you will change us wherever it is we need to be changed. We are listening to you, so speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. Now, this is a story about four people, one who is in trouble and three who had an opportunity to make a difference. One is in trouble. Three have an opportunity before them. But, but let me also tell you what this story is not about, because I don't want you to have a misunderstanding. This story is not about uh, trying to meet every need that you come across. That's not what this story is about. You can't do that and you can't get to everyone. But it is about being involved in ministry. It is about serving right where you are, right in the place that God has put you. Now, two of the three characters in this parable are mentioned by Jesus for a specific reason, right? I mean, we, all, we call it the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We know the bulk of this is about how the Samaritan treated the man in trouble, right? But we also know these two other characters, a priest and a Levite, are mentioned. Now, why does Jesus even fool with me mentioning them? I believe there's a very significant reason why. Because he wants 
to compare and contrast the three different responses so that you and I, as we listen to the story, we answer the question, which one am I? Which one am I? Am I the Samaritan or am I like the priest or the Levite? And so he puts them there to compare and contrast. Now, we're not going to focus on what the others did not do. That's not the point of this message today because the passage really is far more about what the Samaritan did than it is what the others did not do. And by the way, the Samaritan, by the standards of that age, would have been the least likely to do anything considering the circumstances, he would say. He is the least likely to have done anything, and yet he's the only one that did. And that is a reminder to us, never, never believe that who you are or your circumstances keep you from serving or ministering to God. And he didn't. And because of that, Jesus uses him as this example. Now, in the Bible, the word service and ministry are essentially the same word. And when you hear me today talking about ministry, I want you to understand I'm talking about service. Or when I talk about service, I'm talking about ministry. Those are interchangeable. Does that make sense? And uh, the Bible teaches us that. God has a ministry for every believer. Uh, and if you're not involved in ministry, you're not living the life of purpose that God designed you for. Did you get, get that? If you're not involved in ministry, you're not living the life of purpose that God designed you for. You were created to be like Christ. What did Jesus do while he was here on this earth? He served. In fact, he made the statement in which he said, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. You remember when John and uh, James were uh, 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 haggling over who would be the greatest in the uh, kingdom. You remember what Jesus told them. He said, he, the, he that would be greatest among you, let him be what class? Let him be servant. And today we talk about upward mobility. Jesus never talked about upward mobility. He talked about downward mobility. Because if we get that, being a servant, he, he then said, then that will actually move you upward in the ideas and uh, the the, the truths of the kingdom. And so uh, Jesus, when he talks about service, he's talking about ministry. And this morning, I want to give you six essentials of service. Are you ready? Number one, from this story, number one, we must develop spiritual awareness. Verse 33, it says he came uh, to where he was and when he saw him, that's awareness. He saw the Samaritan is a model of awareness. He saw the need. And Jesus is teaching us to live with an awareness of ministry and service opportunities that we have. I want to tell you a story. Um, before I came to Ridgecrest a few years ago, well, that's two decades ago, uh, I traveled a lot for one of our uh, denominational agencies, the North American Mission Board, and I traveled a lot, and I did a lot of what we call interim pastors. That is, a church that didn't have a pastor, I would go and I would fill in for them until they found a pastor, and then I did a number of those while I was there. And one of them that I did was on the outskirts of Atlanta. It was a bedroom community. Uh, now it's bigger than most cities, but, uh, but that's where. And my office was on the other side of Atlanta. And for me, they wanted me to be their interim pastor. That meant I preached on Sunday, Sunday uh, evenings, and then I taught a Wednesday pastor's Bible study. And uh, so on Wednesday, Sunday was fine. No problem getting up and getting to the church on time for traffic or anything. But... Uh, on Wednesdays, for me to get from my office, which was about 45 minutes uh, from where I, my office was to the church, uh, uh, you know, if there's no traffic or anything, you can get there. 
But on Wednesdays, there were always traffic. If I didn't leave my office at 3 o'clock, I would not make it in time to teach a 6 o'clock Bible study. That's Atlanta. And so I would all, here's what I'd do. I would, I would load up my uh, uh, computer bag and put all, I was working on a project um, about sharing, evangel, uh, sharing the gospel with people uh, for our churches across our convention. I was working on that. And I, so I'd load it up. I was in the middle of that. And so I had a lot of writing and uh, all this kind of stuff. I was, so I loaded my bag with all my resources and I had this plan. I would leave my office at three. I would get actually to the community by, by about 345 because at three o'clock the traffic was manageable. Okay. But I didn't have anything to do from 345 until I taught at 6 p.m. So I thought what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a restaurant and I picked out a chain restaurant and I went in, I, they opened it for, and I said, look, I need to rent one of your booths. I said, I'm going to eat. And by that, I mean, I will, I will give a really generous tip. If you can put me, kind of isolate me in a booth somewhere in this restaurant. I said, I've got some work to do and I'm going to be here close to two hours. Would, would that be possible? And they, I was the only one in the restaurant at four o'clock. And so, yeah, they said, fine. They took me back, put me in a booth. I put out, I took out my laptop, all my stuff, and I began to work on this project I was working on, okay? Well, a, a young man came to wait on me, and he asked me what I wanted to drink. His name was Dave, and Dave came to wait on me. I told him, hey, give me this. And so I'm, I'm busy, 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 you know, doing writing and all this mess. And so he comes back with my drink, and he says, man, you look busy. I said, I am busy. And I went back, and he said, uh, all right. He said, uh, I'll be back in just a minute. Take your order. He came back to, to take my order. He said, um, he said, so what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I, I'm working on a project, uh, uh, that I've got to get ready for publication and blah, 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 blah. And I, I'm working on this. He said, what do you do? And I told him, I said, well, I said, you know, I had this great job. I get to I get to travel around the country and tell people about how they can have a relationship with God. And he went, wow, and turned and walked off. And I thought, okay, well, good, you know. <laughs> and I got back to doing what I was doing. Well, you know, he comes back, when he comes back and brings my order, he said, so, so you tell, now think about what I'm doing. I'm there working on material on how you tell people about Jesus Christ. But I don't have time. He's bugging me. And so he puts my food down and everything. And then and, and he, he sits down in the booth. <laughs> and he says, so, I mean, you, you tell people about God? I said, yeah. <laughs> Y'all following what's going on here? And suddenly he asked again, and it just finally the Holy Spirit says, hey, dummy. <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, I got it. And he says this to me, would you explain that to me? And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm too busy working on how to help other people do it. Uh, and I said, and that's when it just registered. And so I said, man, I'd love to. And so I began, I shared the gospel with Dave. And he said, well, I think I need that. He said, my wife and I, he was a musician, by the way, Bradley. And um, he said, uh, 
he said, my wife and I, our marriage is in trouble. He said, she's going to leave me, and that's fine with me. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with her being out of, out of my life. And I mean, it was just bad. He said, uh, well, I shared the gospel. I said, is there any reason you couldn't trust Christ? He said, I probably need to do that, but not now. And so he got up and left. I thought, well, Lord, you know, I did really try. Well, he came back later, but, but, you know, before I, I left, and he said, uh, I'm really going to think about what you said. And that surprised me. I thought, okay, God, it did right. I said, well, do this for him. I'm going to give you my phone number. Would you pray about what we've talked about? And I said, I'm going to be back here next week at this same time. And if they will let me, I want you to wait on me, and I'm going to sit right here. And so I was, and the next week he came sat down in the booth again. And we talked about it some more, but he still wouldn't invite Christ into his life, but he said, I need that. So I think, God, this is a project, you know, this is a work in motion. And so I went on, did my thing. And then the next week at my office, I get a call from, from this guy and he says, Hey, is, is this Ray? I said, it is. He said, I'm Dave. Do you remember me from the restaurant? I said, I sure do. He said, well, I just called to tell you I did it. I said, you did what? He said, I asked Christ to be my Savior. I said, wow, Dave, that's great. And I talked to him. And he said, not only that, I told my wife about it. And he said, something is happening in our marriage. It's good. And she prayed that prayer too. I said, wow, Dave, that's great. And we talked a little bit more. I said, I'm going to be back at the restaurant. He said, well, here's a question I want to ask you. He said, you said that you... you, that you uh, you preach to people on Sundays at a, this church in our, in our community. He said, would it be all right if my wife and I came? I said, no, let's don't push this that far. <laughs> I said, absolutely. I said, man, come and sit with me. And so on Sunday, sure enough, I thought, eh, well, we, you know, sure enough on Sunday, I'm sitting equivalent of being right here, and they're sitting, this couple's sitting. I told them, come and sit with me, and they're sitting where Chuck and Monica are sitting. I get up and I, I preach. At the end, I step down for an invitation, which we'll do here in just a little bit. And they stepped out, both of them came right from their front, and they came over, and, and he said, he said, do you think, and this is a person with no church background, he said, do you think they would be okay if we joined this church? And I said, I promise I did do this. I said, I don't know. Let's ask them. <laughs> I said, y'all just have a seat again. I said, now, what they didn't know is that after that second conversation, I had our church praying. This church I was in, they were praying by name for Dave and his wife. And so I knew what the response would be. So, but he had no clue. I said, folks, I said, I need to introduce you to a couple that have asked, could they join this congregation? And I told them that we'd just have to see what you thought. And I said, come and stand with me. And they came like, like, <laughs> and I said, uh, people, this is Dave and his wife. And when I did, the place jumped on their feet and they began to scream and shout and applaud, probably like it ought to be every time somebody gets saved, you know? And they began to scream and shout and applaud these people. And I turned to Dave and his wife. I said, I think that's a yes. 
they, they began to come faithfully to that congregation, began to play in their, their worship band. Uh, their marriage was, was healed, and I maintained some connection with them until I left Atlanta to come, to come here. Here's why I told you that long story. I wanted you to hear it. I wanted you to be encouraged by it, but I wanted to tell you that um, we have to learn. If, I, if God hadn't whacked me upside the head, I'm, I could sit there in the restaurant. Think about that. Writing training materials to help people know how to tell people about Christ, and right there sitting in the booth with me, I almost missed the opportunity. See, we've got to say, God, make me aware. Now, I want to tell you something. I've missed plenty, too. I remember back in December, I missed one. I missed one, and I didn't realize it in the moment. It's another one of those kind of thick-headed things. And I drove off from the place where I missed the opportunity. And I remember suddenly as I'm driving off, the Lord broke my heart. I just realized, oh, God, I just missed. I just missed an incredible opportunity to minister to someone I had to pull off the side of the road. I was weeping so hard because I realized, God, why didn't I see the opportunity uh, you put in front of me? And I told him, I said, Lord, if you will give me another opportunity, I wasn't going to have it with, with that person, but if you'll give me an opportunity, I will. Father, I'll keep my antenna up. And, and so I'm not saying that I always get it because I always don't get it. But I tell you what, I've, I've tried to train my antenna to be back up again pretty high because you can get involved in doing religious work and miss the, the reason you're in the work. And so we have to learn to be aware of what God is doing. I'll tell you, I'm so aware, I was so aware that I had an uh, incident, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I'm in the parking lot of a fast food restaurant and a woman walks up to me, I'm going to my car, and she said, sir, my husband and I haven't eaten in three days. I wonder, do you have $5 where we could just go get a biscuit and something to drink? And it was legit. I've had plenty, I've heard all, look, which is sometimes the reason we don't minister to people. We think, I've heard them all, I've heard them all. But, but uh, I thought, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. And she said, could we, if just $5, we could go in and get a biscuit and something to drink. And I looked at her and I said, I don't have $5. But I got a $20 bill. I'm going to give this to you. And I said, will you promise me, this will buy you and your husband a couple of meals. You promise me that this is going to go for food and not for alcohol or drugs or anything. And they were sitting there in their car in, in the parking lot. She said, Tears began to roll down her face. She said, I promise, we're just hungry. We're just hungry. And I said, I give this to you because the Lord has blessed me. And uh, I said, I'd love, to, I'd love to talk with you sometime if you're in this area about what that meant or what that means. Folks, my point is we miss opportunities if our antenna isn't up. You say, but what if they really weren't honest with you? I'll let God settle that with them. Right? We were in New York City, my wife and I were, a bunch of years ago. We were in New York City, and we, I'd actually taken a group of students to New York City for a mission uh, endeavor, and this was one of the nights after we'd finished up. We were walking down the streets in Manhattan, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been there before, but there, I've been there several times, and they're on the streets at night in particular, in the daytime too, but at night there are a lot of folks uh, looking for handouts. And, and most of them are looking for handouts so they can go buy alcohol, cheap wine, or weed, or something like that. 
I mean, we're walking down this room. My wife, she's got the huge gift of mercy. She's with some women that are behind me, and they're all walking down. And so in a few minutes, my wife comes up and says, says hey, you got, some more, you got some more ones? So I pull out, I give her some more ones, and I'm not thinking because I'm with some guys, and we're chatting and all this kind of stuff. We keep going. A few minutes later, she comes up and says, hey, I, I need some more ones. I said, uh, you know, once, twice, she comes, at, we, the process continues, she comes up a few minutes later, she says, got any more? And so, you, look, one strike, two strikes, three strikes, you're out. And I said, babe, I said, I only have a couple of ones left. She said, well, let me have them. I said, what, whoa, 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 what, what are you doing with these ones? And she turned around, pointed to a homeless guy, and she said, I'm, he said he needed some money. He said he was hungry. And she said, so I'm just giving, and, and he was a wino. I said, baby, are you giving this money out? And she said, yeah. She said, they're all telling me they're hungry. I said, baby, they're, they're, they're going to use this to buy some, some cheap wine. She said, no. She said, they told me they're hungry. She said, oh, no. She said, I've been, I said, and then, you know, the Lord just put, I said, baby, God knows you were feeding them. We'll let him sort it out, but no more. <laughs> but do you understand training yourself to have an awareness that people around you are in need? And he did. He was wearing the second thing. Let's move on. Uh, the second thing is we must be physically available. Not just aware, but available. Notice it says that he went to him. The Samaritan assumed responsibility and made himself available for service. Now, did y'all notice the title of the message today is drafted? Uh, we don't hear that term used much anymore, but when I was growing up, uh, every young man that reached the age of 18 had to register for selective service. They changed that in 1973. I never had to register my dad was registered for the draft, and he served in the Army, but they canceled the mandatory draft registration right before I got, I got there. But I remember every time somebody was, reached the age of 18, guys, they had to go and they had to register. Now, registering for the draft or selective service did not mean because you were registered that you would, be, that you would have to serve. But what it did mean is if they needed you to serve, they would draft you. And if they drafted you, you were required to serve. The only people that didn't serve that were drafted were those who, who went AWOL, so to speak. But once you uh, registered at 18, you were saying, in effect, I understand that, that I could be called upon at any point in time to serve. Well, do you know when you came into the kingdom of God, really, when you were born, you registered for the kingdom draft. And, and the difference is God says, and I do have a purpose for you. I do have a place that I want you to serve. Hudson Taylor, the great founder of the China Inland Mission and responsible for taking the gospel into the interior of China, was once approached by a man who had one leg 
And the man with one leg said to Hudson Taylor, he said, I believe God wants me to go and be a missionary in China. And Hudson Taylor responded back, what makes you think that a man with one leg could serve God in China as a missionary? And I love what the guy answered back to Hudson Taylor. He said, well, he said, because I don't see any, uh, uh, any men with two good legs going to serve God in China. You know, he understood that he could serve no matter what. And that's why Hudson Taylor asked him that, by the way. You know what Jesus said? Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. It's out there, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God has gifted you, and God will equip you to serve. And while those things are important, I want to tell you something even more important is your availability and your willingness to say, God, here I am. Send me. Use me however you will. And so awareness availability. And then here's the third thing I want you to note, and that is we must make personal adjustments. If you'll notice the Samaritan, it says he came to where he was. He adjusted according, according to the need. He didn't say, I'll be glad to help him, but if he wants help, he's going to need to get out of that ditch and crawl over to me and tell me what he needs. And if he'll do that, I'll help him. That's not what he said. It says he went to him. He made the adjustment. In the New Testament, we see Jesus constantly being interrupted. We see him being stopped. And, and we see him adjusting to the people in need that were all around him. The Samaritan, just like Jesus, uh, is, this interrupts his journey but he adjusts his schedule in order to serve and do ministry to the man in need. The others simply miss the opportunity to serve God. Now, if you're going to minister, you're going to have to listen. You're going to have to adjust your life in places. It's a fact. You will have to adjust some things in your life if you're going to serve effectively for God. In fact, there are probably some of you here today, and, and you're serving everything and everybody but God. And there are probably those who are watching us by live stream and your service and your ministry uh, is to everything else but God. You may say something like this, well, I don't have time uh, to, to take on anymore. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever said, I just don't have time to take on anymore. I, I can't take on any ministry. I don't have time to serve God right now. Well, listen, listen to me carefully. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I want to tell you something truthful. If your life is so busy that you can't find time to serve God, you are too busy and your life needs to be adjusted. Because you were created to serve God. As a pastor, I've watched through the years People crowd their life with all kinds of things. They fill their life with all kinds of things. And when their life gets full, you know what the first thing to go is? The first thing they let go of is God. The, the first things they let go of are church. The first things they let go are Bible reading. The first things they let go of are prayer. The things that they need the most, the first things they let go of are serving and then when their life gets stressed or, or they can't figure out uh, uh, what's going on, then, then they don't understand why they're so stressed or, or they're, when their home falls apart or their kids turn away or when their jobs go south, they, they, they get mad at God because everything else they'd filled their life with was a priority but not God. And so they, they don't get it. 
What keeps us from adjusting our lives? Let me give you three things, not on your outline, but let me give you three quick things. What, what keeps us from adjusting our lives to serve God? The first thing is self-centeredness. You know, I got my agenda, I got my plans, I got my dreams, my goals, my ambitions. And we hang this sign, this kind of proverbial sign around our heart to God that says, do not disturb. I got all these other pursuits in my life and goals. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having goals and pursuits and even ambitions, but they are to be subservient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They're not to be the priority. They are to be under the priority of Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with them. Have them. You, you ought to, but make sure they're in the right place. And we're, if we're not careful, we get self-centered. We say this, God, I want you involved in my life. I just want you involved on my terms. So do not disturb me while I'm pursuing the agendas and the ambitions of my life. Don't you disturb me, but I want you involved. When I need you, I'll call on you. Self-centeredness. Another thing that keeps us from adjusting our life is procrastination. I was going to share this point with you, but I decided to wait a couple of weeks. Okay, never mind that one. <clears throat> Did anybody else get that? Okay. All right. Courtesy laugh. Thank you. Thank you. The congregation's full of smart Alex. Okay. No. Procrastination. Waiting for everything to get just right. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to serve. I'll serve God. I'll find a place to serve in the body of Christ. But I, I just need to wait till everything settles down in my life a little bit. I'll serve then. Or we say, well, if I can't do it right, I won't do it at all. Boy, that's a great one. I, you know, the way I'm wired, if I can't do it right, you sh I just won't, I won't do it at all. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 11 for. Write that, write that verse down because you, you can go back and look at this. This is what it says. Solomon says, he who catches the wind will not sow. And he who looks at the clouds will not reap. I'll, I'll, I'll serve when everything gets right. You know, what, you know what Solomon was saying there? He that watches the wind will not sow because here's what he'll do. He'll go, oh, man, I was going to go out and plant a field today, but, you know, the wind's blowing, and it'll just scatter the seed all over the place. So I'll just have to wait a while before I do that. Or he that looks at the clouds will not reap. Well, I was going to go out. It's time to, it's time to reap the harvest. But I'm not going to do it because there's a thundercloud coming and the weather channel says that we're going to have bad storms this afternoon. So I'm just, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. He's talking about procrastination. Things that ought to be done are put off and we find a, a convenient way to put them off. Listen, if you're, if you're waiting for everything to get just right, you'll never do anything for God. Uh, if you're waiting for everything to be perfect, you'll never serve him because you're not perfect and you're in an imperfect world. The truth is, if God only used a perfect world and perfect people, nothing would get done in this world, right? Nothing, zip, nada, zero. And that's because we're all, all of us are a bunch of misfits. We all have weaknesses. We all have faults. We all have failures. We all have handicaps. But guess what? God still uses us. Why? Because God doesn't use perfect people because there aren't any. And so 
Don't ever say, well, I'll do it when. I'll do it, I'll do it when I get better skilled or that's sort of, Start serving God. In fact, one of the things, that's one of the reasons we provided this connect and serve. And in your worship folder, there's a little uh, uh, sheet that you can use to find a place to, to serve in ministry. This may be where you start, but it may not be where you wind up. It may not be where you end. But say, well, I'm, I'm waiting to find the right thing. Just start serving God somewhere. And then you'll be amazed at how God will begin to move you to the kind of places where, where you really feel like your gifts in, in able. Just start serving somewhere. But a lot of times it is procrastination. Here's a third reason we don't adjust our life, and that is materialism. Materialism, you know, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. And if we're not careful, in this world we're in, we get so busy accumulating and taking care of the things we have accumulated that we don't have time to minister or serve the kingdom. And by the way, I, I want to say this. There's nothing wrong with material things, and God may bless you financially. That's not bad, but it's not the primary goal of life. Hello? It's more important between now and eternity that we are kingdom builders than we are wealth builders. All right? And then here's the fourth thing I want you to see this morning, and that is we must take immediate action. Verse 34 says, he went to him. The Samaritan didn't just go out of his way. He gave effort, time, uh, energy, money to make a difference. And he did it immediately. He went to the man. He bandaged him. He dressed his wounds and he put him on his own animal. Ministry and service requires more than words. A lot of people will avoid serving by saying something like this. Well, I'm praying about it. Or they'll affirm service and ministry, but do nothing. But ministry demands action. Service demands action. In fact, James said, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Ministry is more than what you say. Ministry requires action. It requires a response. You may say, but but how much can I do? I'm just one person. I don't have the skills that this person does. You've got all the skills and abilities and gifts that God intended for you to have to accomplish what God put you on this planet to accomplish. I'm just one person, you say. Listen to what D.L. Moody. Y'all know who D.L. Moody is? D.L. Moody is one of the greatest uh, evangelists in the history of Christianity. And D.L. Moody said, and by the way, he had less than a high school education. And D.L. Moody, I mean, Look, he butchered the English language. They would write editorials about him, about how, how pathetic his, his grammar was. And yet God used him to bring revival in America and England. One of the greatest revival, uh, revivalists of all time, D.L. Moody. And this is what he said in, in response to that. Oh, I'm just one person. He said, and I quote, I'm only one but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do by the grace of God, I will do. Isn't that good? He said, yeah, I'm just one. I can't do it all. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do by the grace of God, I will do. If you're not doing something for God, what are you waiting for? Immediate action is an essential to serving effectively you think about when Jesus called the disciples, James and John, fishermen, you remember what it says? And immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. You know, uh, 
that's a pretty significant statement. Immediately they followed him because we would have tended to say, now, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I need to sell my boat, sell my business, sell my nets, and then I'll come after you. you know, Jesus, on a number of occasions in the New Testament, it illustrates the importance of immediately responding to him. When On one occasion, he calls a man of field and he says, come follow me. And he says, I will, but I've got to finish my field. And he says, no one who's put their hands to the plow, no one who, and, and not obeyed, he says, is worthy of the kingdom. What he's saying, when Jesus calls us to action, he calls us to immediate action. Not, yeah, I'm going to get there. I've decided I'm going to do something. I'm going to serve God. We have to immediately begin with action and response. And here's number five. We must be willing to abandon self. It requires sacrifice. It says he took out two denarii. That's two days' wages, and he gave it to the innkeeper, and he said, here, this will, this will handle and this will help until I return. And I'll come to that in just a second. Charles Studd, C.T. Studd said this, if Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And I, you know what I love about this story is the Samaritan didn't just say, okay, I got him to the end, I'm, I'm out of here. He's your problem now. There was none of that. And, and the scripture points out that the Samaritan paid for this man's care with his own money. There was, he had to abandon himself. There was sacrifice uh, required. Ministry to others and ministry through the body of Christ will often, often involve sacrifice. And Jesus is the model of sacrifice and service and ministry because he gave himself up freely. You know, Jesus said this, no man takes my life from me. I give it up freely. Nobody forces me. He said, I lay it down freely for them. Jesus understood the importance of ministry that's based on sacrifice. He's our model. Both Samuel Chase of Maryland and Eldridge Gary of Massachusetts were two of the original signers of the Declaration. Now, if you go back and you read through the list and you study anything about their lives, and I've read about most of them, what you discovered, did you know most of them knew when they were signing the Declaration of Independence, it was an act of treason against England and that if caught, they would die. And a number of them were pretty influential and wealthy people, and so they were putting everything at risk, and those who didn't die would lose everything. Several of them died penniless, who had had great wealth, but because they signed the Declaration, and even though Amer it cost them everything in the Revolution. And um, Samuel Chase of Maryland and El Eldridge uh, uh, Gary of Massachusetts were talking, having a discussion. Samuel Chase was a big man. And uh, Eldridge Gary was this little bitty skinny, frail guy. Both of them signed it. And Eldridge Gary uh, didn't have a lot, but he asked Samuel Chase in conversation, why would you be willing to put your substantial uh, wealth and estate on the line by signing the Declaration? And it's so funny because they knew, again, if they caught, they're going to hang. And, and this is what Samuel Chase told uh, Eldridge Gary in response to that question. He said, well, he said, it's you are the one who should be far more afraid of what's coming. And he said, with your frailty and your skinny build, you're likely, 
you're likely to keep dangling on the gallows. While with my size, I will only suffer for a moment. You know what he was saying? I've already counted the cost. I've counted the cost. And both of them understood the commitment that they were making. Jesus made several things very clear. Listen to his disciples, to his followers. Jesus made several things. Number one, salvation is free. I mean, that's a great, wonderful message of the gospel. If you don't know Christ, you're watching by live stream, you're in this, in just a moment or two, we're going to talk about how you can know Christ. And it's a free gift of God. It's not something you earn or work for. Jesus made very clear to his followers that salvation is free. But he also made clear that following him will cost you something. There's a cost in being a disciple, following him. I'm not talking about dollars. I'm talking about there's some adjustments and sacrifices you'll have to make, just like the Samaritan did to do ministry and service. There's, it, it will cost you at some point in time, there will be some cost. And Jesus never downplayed that. In our world today, and frankly, in a lot of our, our church settings today, we want to just tell everybody, well, look, just follow Jesus and life becomes wonderful. There's never any challenges. or any, Look, we're living not for right now. We're living for eternity. And right now, in a broken world, there will be a cost sometimes for following Jesus. And I want to tell you, as the culture becomes more hostile to Christianity, do you know, for the first time in the history of the American church, listen to this, just two weeks ago, they reported in the first time in the life of the church in America, it, uh, the, the average attendance dropped below 50% of the people in the country. For the first time, in the history. And now we have the generation of nuns and those who say, I don't, need, I don't need God, I don't need church. I'm a nun. I don't need anything. As the, as the hour wears later and later, I want to tell you something. There will be a greater cost to follow Jesus. You know what Jesus said? When the Son of Man shall come, will he find faith on earth? So, uh, so we don't need to be, we don't live in, need to live in fear of that or, or terror of that, but we need to understand that, that when you follow Christ, there are going to be times where uh, there may be a cost. There may be a relational cost. Listen, I never thought over 40 years ago, four decades ago, I never would have thought that there may become a day when it's going to affect some of your vocations to be a follower of Christ. But it's okay because we know how this story works out. See, we know how it plays out. But, but there are going to be some costs involved in following Christ. And Jesus never downplayed it. We do sometimes in the church. Oh, just follow Jesus. It's all, it's all going to be okay. Never, you, tough times go. And that's why a lot of, there are a lot of dysfunctional Christians today in our churches because they bought into a lie that says Jesus comes, everything gets great. And so when they have challenges or trials or tests, God tested Abraham. And then when they have those kinds of things, they say, I don't know what's wrong. God just... Or because they've had a do not disturb on their heart. Suddenly they say, why is things aren't... So salvation is free, but discipleship costs. Following him will cost you something. But there's a third thing that Jesus also communicated, and that is... Not only is salvation free, and not only will following him cost you something, listen to this, not following Christ will cost you everything. Following him may cost you something, but I want to tell you, in the end, not following Christ will cost you everything. All right? So we must be willing to abandon self. 
for the kingdom of God. And then last, here's the last thing and we're done. We must remain attentive to the task. We have to remain attentive to the task. In verse 35, you know, remember the Samaritan, you remember what he said? He said, uh, here's two denarii, this will take care of his bill, and then I've got to go in and finish up some business, but I will return, I'll come back, and if there's been any additional expenses, I'll take care of that too. The Samaritan just didn't take care of the man at that moment. He promised to return for any additional care that was needed. You know what that's called? That's called faithfulness. As I said before, he didn't just say, okay, I bandaged his wounds a little bit. Here, innkeeper, here's a couple of nights lodging for him. Uh, he's your problem. I'm out of here. He said, I've got to go about some other business. But he said, I'll come back and check on him and I'll, I'll, I'll take care of whatever additional expense it may be to you. Faithfulness and commitment. Here's what it means. It means you don't quit in the middle of your assignment, in the middle of your service, in the middle of your ministry. You keep going and you keep giving. You fulfill the work that God has given you. Jesus said in John 17, for I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. If you're going to serve like Jesus, you're going to serve God as long as you are alive. Hello? From here to eternity, you're going to serve him. You, don't, you, you may retire from a vocational job, which, by the way, is also a place of ministry. You may retire from your vocational job someday, but you never retire from serving God. Hello? Never. So you say, why should I... Uh, why should I be a faithful servant? Let me close by giving you three reasons to be a faithful servant, continually attentive to the task that God has given and entrusted us. One, because a day of accounting is coming. There is a day of accounting uh, coming, and by the way, and or a reward. And it's all about perspective. You see, all of us are going to stand before God as followers of Christ, if we know Christ, and we're still going to give an account of how we served him because we were put here with responsibilities and a task. So we're going to stand there. Now, if you don't serve him in this life, you, you might be a little bit nervous to stand before him and say, well, I didn't kind of carry out the work you had entrusted me uh, to do. All right, that's an accounting. Or you may stand before him being able to do what the apostle Paul said toward the end of his life before he was beheaded Think about that, before he was beheaded. You know what he said? I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. And it's personal. He's talking about the course that God had designed for him. He said, I've finished the course, and now there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He wasn't looking at it as, man, I've got to go stand before God now and give an account. for." He, he was saying, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith, and I finished the course. The course that God had for me, I finished. You're responsible for your course. I'm responsible for my course. But if we complete the course, if we fulfill the course, we can stand before God one day and wait to hear him say, well done, Paul, good and faithful servant. Well done, uh, Ray, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. That's what you want to hear. And then here is the crown of righteousness, Paul said, not just for him, but for all who have lo uh, who loved his appearing. What was Paul saying? He was saying, I, I'll be standing before God waiting on the reward because I, I fulfilled the mission that God entrusted to me. So it all depends. If you're fulfilling the mission, then you stand before him and wait to hear him say, well done. And here's a crown of righteousness. Or 
it's accountability. Well, I didn't fulfill the mission that you had given to me. Several years ago, two teenager, two teenage boys tried to come to church, uh, a church service, and, I, and the the problem was when they walked in, there was no place to to sit, and so they turned to leave because the place was packed out. And so they turned to leave, and there was this usher that saw these two teenage boys leaving, and. Uh, because he couldn't find a seat. He said, hang on, guys. He said, I'm going to find you a seat. And he walked into the auditorium, and he found a couple of seats uh, over kind of in the middle of, the, uh, of one of the, the places. He said, here's two seats. And he said to the people, you either move down or stand up. And by the way, never, ever be offended if you were asked to move a little bit in the worship. You know what? You're making room for somebody to sit down who might otherwise turn and walk out. And so um, the people stood up, and these two boys went in. They sat down, and at the invitation that night, both of those boys got saved. Both of them trusted Christ. Isn't that great? Oh, yeah, one of them's name was Billy Graham, who God used to help more than 10 million people come to Christ. But you know what? You know what? It was the usher that got them in the building. There are no little roles. By the way, do y'all think, <laughs> you think that, that usher is going to get any credit in heaven for that? I'll, I'd say he will. Billy Graham, because he was going to leave, and the usher got him a seat, and then God would literally shake the planet with this man. Wow. People need the Lord. That's the second reason. That's the second reason for us to be uh, uh, attentive to the task that we've been given to remain faithful. People need the Lord. And so what you do does make a difference. And then last, because we should remain faithful because of what he's done for us. He gave his life for us. He died for us. He didn't have to. He did it willingly, as we said. And that should cause us to say, what can I do to serve him until he either returns or until he calls me home because of what he's done. I, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to be faithful to serve him. Now, maybe some of you who are watching us online or in our live audience here today, you might be, you might be wondering, does a church the size of Ridgecrest need help? I mean, this, a church this size, you've got to have probably more help. Are you kidding me? There are always more needs to be met than people willing to serve. And you think about it, I just heard this morning, we're getting ready for a vacation Bible school next month, and we still need a dozen, a dozen uh, teachers. A dozen teachers so we can get the gospel to the, these children. We've got, we've got a bunch, but we need more because kids are signing up, and, and, we don't, and maybe you can do that. By the way, they're having a 4 o'clock training session in the fellowship hall. Show up if you say, I can do that. I can be involved in that. We need a dozen so we can be faithful in the task that God has entrusted uh, to us. Have you ever wondered why you're here at Ridgecrest? We have a lot of new folks at Ridgecrest in the last year, and we praise God for it, and he continues to add every week new people. Have you ever wondered why God brought you to Ridgecrest? Well, I'm going to tell you why. You were brought here to Ridgecrest because God knows that you have something to give back to him through this place. And by the way, I believe that every church that is healthy has exactly what they need to do the work of God. I just don't think every church that's healthy, I don't think everybody understands that God has put them there to be involved in ministry and in service. He brought you here 
to serve. And he knew in advance that you had something, maybe it's your background, talent, skills, abilities, contacts, network, or whatever it may be, he, he knew that you had something that would make a difference through the work of God in this place. Let me give you a little quiz. Maybe you, maybe, uh, you uh, rode from the parking lot in one of our golf carts uh, today. Did you know the name of the person who drove it? They may have told you. Do you, do you know who, who's teaching and overseeing your children right now? You say, no, and that bothers me. No, I'm teasing. Do, do you know all the names of the musicians that were up here on, on the stage? Maybe you know some of them. Do you know all of those? Do, do you know who the people are that are producing this video, sending out by live stream and helping us watch and get the points and all that? So do you know who those people are right now? Do you know the people who, who uh, got the bulletins ready and, and put them out for you? The truth is all of these things are done by essentially anonymous volunteers behind the scenes, but they're all important. We couldn't do the work if it weren't for them. Thank God for them. Because all service to God is important. All service to God is important. But the most important thing you'll ever do with your life is serve God in ministry through the church. It's far more important than your career. Your career is important. It's far more important than your hobbies. Your hobbies can be important. It's even more important than everything else that you can think of. And here's why. Because those things aren't going to last. But what you do for the kingdom of God through the church of God is, has eternal significance. It lasts forever. Napoleon said this. He said, if China ever wakes up, it is a sleeping giant. And if it ever wakes up, it'll shake the world. I want to tell you, Ridgecrest is a giant for God. And if if we ever truly sell out to serve and minister in the name of Christ, the spiritual impact will rock our community. It will rock uh, our state. And yes, it will rock this world. And I mean that. If we ever truly sell out and surrender, the impact will be astounding. A number of years ago, Elvis Presley, the king, not the king king, Y'all know who I'm talking about? How many of you know who Elvis Presley is? Okay. Elvis Presley died at 42 years of age from obesity and drug dependency. But he, was, he is still to this day kind of a legend. And Elvis Presley, um, back up a number of years ago, his, his greatest hit, uh, hits out album, which I personally possess, thank you very much, <laughs> was that a courtesy laugh? Um, but his album, uh, back a number of years ago, after he had been dead for 25 years, his greatest hits album once again became the number one album in the country. He'd been dead for 25 years. In spite of his enormous success, Though Elvis, according to friends, was an unfulfilled, unhappy man. And after his death, his wife, Priscilla, did an interview. Listen to what she said in this interview. She said, Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. 
He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he was not fulfilling it. And so he would go on stage just so he wouldn't have to deal with it or think about it. Wow. Albert Schweitzer, the great medical doctor and missionary, said this, listen, one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve God with your life. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. That first of all, you saved us. Thank you. As we, we talked about what you, you've done for us, we thank you for that. And then, Lord, thank you for calling us into service, drafting us. And I pray for those in this place today, Father, that are in the kingdom but just haven't committed themselves to walk and serve you. And I pray today you'll challenge them to find new place or some place where they can faithfully serve you. That, that, Father, none of us will let our limitations prevent us from doing what we can do while we're here for you. I thank you for all those who do serve that you've blessed us with. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, and those of you who are viewing by live stream at home, I want to offer you an opportunity to begin that process. If you've never trusted Christ, then if you try to serve him without knowing him, it'll be very tough for you to sustain that service. But you can get it right. If you've never trusted him, you can do that right where you are by live stream. In this live audience, you can call on him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, the scripture says. How do you do that? Right now in your heart of hearts, offer a prayer to him. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know you love me. Thank you for dying for me. I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need what you did for me that I couldn't do for myself. And I invite you right now to come into my life, forgive me, cleanse me, and become my Savior, my Lord and Master. If you'll do that, I promise you, you'll hear that prayer. There may be some in this place today need to cry out to him and say, Lord, I want to renew my commitment to serve you. And God, I don't know where it may be that you'll have me end up, but I can start somewhere. And God, I'll find a place to begin serving you. Now, Lord, hear these prayers that have been offered. And we pray, God, that you will be pleased through our service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for just a moment? I'm going to step down here. We're going to have a live invitation here. Maybe you prayed one of those prayers by live stream or even in this place. And I'll be here and you can come and say, here's a decision that I made. Uh, maybe you want to just take in this live audience and check off your decision on the back of that panel and put it in the offering baskets as you leave. We'll take it from there. If you're watching by live stream, just text to us your decision. If today you called on Christ to be your Savior, text the word PASTOR to 334-384-8080. Or if today 
you say, I want to join Ridgecrest. I'm watching, but I, I want to be a part of the Ridgecrest family. We'd love to have you. And you can join by texting the word join to us. Uh, same number, 334-384-8080. Or maybe you need to be baptized, whatever it may be. And live audience, you can do the same. You can text if, if it's a little intimidating for you. I hope it isn't. But I want to invite you in just a moment to slip out. When I step down there, this altar is open. Maybe you just want to come and pray. It's open again. Praise God that we, we can open the altar up again. Not sure why we really closed it, but we can open it up again. And I thank God for that. And so as Bradley leads us and plays, I invite you to slip out. I'll be here. Other staff members will be on the side. You slip out. Balcony, ground floor, whatever the decision it is for you, you come on right now.